Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. episode of purple insider matthew collar here again and uh, today's vikings practice was just a walkthrough so there isn't a whole heck of a lot to take away from the practice and uh, tomorrow is an off day but it does set up for a very very interesting week the one note that i want to start the show with before we dive into uh, a lot of different things i've got some questions that people have emailed me that i want to read and answer of course all of your comments and so forth and yes delvin cook has a location and it was the location that we all kind of expected anyway so he signs with the new york jets we'll get into all of that but it was worth noting that tj hawkinson who has not done all that much in practice the last couple of days was participating in the walkthrough 11 on 11 reps so that doesn't mean that he was doing anything hardcore but he was doing a little bit more than he was before and that was somewhat notable. Brian Asamoah didn't come out until halfway through practice, didn't really do much. So still waiting on uh, whether Asamoah is going to return after this day off and who we're going to see against the Tennessee Titans of the players that have been banged up. So I figured I'd give you that little update there and then we can uh, dive in. And yes, the studio looks a little bit different here. There's going to be some changes that I'm working on. This was kind of like, the initial setup, and then now we're trying to improve the setup a little bit, and it's going to get hopefully a lot better later in the week when something shows up at my house that's going to go behind me that I think is going to be really, really cool. So I'm working on it. I got a little bit of a new camera set up here, so hopefully I'm a little bit clearer, and it's a little bit of a wider shot, and so I'm working on it. But suggestions welcome. Uh, this is the first time that I have done the streaming thing on a nightly basis on YouTube. It's always just been podcasts, and then we started throwing some video up and then trying to build on it. So uh, you guys are the reason that we're building on it, though, because you show up every night and we have a lot of fun chatting and I want to continue to do this on a nightly basis. So that's why I'm trying to improve the look. So when you are logging in, I don't look too fuzzy or weird or, uh, you know, I, I think I had no idea how to even put lights on myself. And I was looking like uh, Casper the ghost. So, um, which I kind of looked that way anyway. And, you know, I'll, re you know, so hopefully it's a little bit better now. But let's get into Delvin Cook signing with the Jets. $8.6 million, or at least finger quotes, up to 
$8.6 million, but it was reported that a good amount of that is guaranteed. And I will tell you guys the truth. That is a little bit more than I expected uh, Delvin Cook to get, though I'll wait for the final details. When you hear that most of it is guaranteed, what does that mean? Is $5 million most of it? That's the majority. It's more than 50%. But is that, uh, you know, is that a lot? Is that more than we thought? Or is it going to be a lot of it that comes along with incentives? He has to run for a thousand yards. They have to win a playoff game. They have to whatever in order to get $8.6 million. They love to put those numbers out. The agents do because it makes them look better. Oh, wow. He got this guy a contract. And then when overthecap.com gets a hold of it, they lay out the entire contract and we go, Oh, okay. Kind of like when uh, Josh Oliver signed for three years and 21 million. And we looked at it and went like, wait, they signed a second tight end for that much money. And by the way, I mean, he's looked really good in practice and it looks like they're going to use him. So maybe they knew what they were doing there, but I, I mean, it wasn't really three years, 21 million. It was more like two years and then they'll decide what they want to do, like extend him, cut him, whatever after two years. So these uh, are always, uh, you know, kind of, you know, pumped up numbers as much as they possibly can still even the the highest of this is a little bit higher than I expected. And I got a message from a fan who was uh, a fan of the show who was talking to his Jets fan friends about like, they're all excited. They think this is, you know, the big move that's going to put them over the top and everything. And of course him having watched Delvin cook play last year, uh, maybe not feeling like that's really going to be the case because Delvin cook was not the same player last year as he was in 2019 and 2020, and even at the start of his career before he tore the ACL in 2017, where he was just a straight up, uh, I mean, MVP candidate halfway through the season, freak show, like top three running back. He was that during 2019, 2020, but I thought 2021, there was a dip and then it didn't come back up last year and he was much more of an average running back that had a lot of inconsistency and i think the fact that it took this long for him to find a home after the vikings cut him probably was evidence that a lot of teams in the league just weren't really interested and saw what the Vikings saw in deciding to move on from him. And the Vikings made it pretty clear that one of the reasons they moved on was just the inconsistency, the negative plays, how often he was getting caught in the backfield and the physical running was just not the same as it was after all the injuries. With that said, I think for the New York Jets, it's fine because, I mean, how else are you spending your money at this moment? There's just not a lot of other free agents that are out there that you're trying to load up on. I mean, maybe Jets reporters would know of, well, maybe their guards aren't good. I'm not sure whether the Jets guards are good or not. So maybe they should be calling Dalton Reiser. I'm not sure. Uh, Maybe there's one other guy that they should add. But more likely than not, like you've got the money You're in this all-in type of situation, but also the all-in situation kind of reminds me of the number of things that the Vikings did throughout those years where they were pressing just like the Jets are now. And it's interesting to be in a little bit of a different spot for the Vikings than where the Jets are having just traded for Aaron Rodgers, where we're looking at this roster both through the lens of win the NFC North, be in the playoffs, 
and set yourself up for the future. So don't sacrifice your future where the jets are. They traded for Aaron Rodgers. They already gave up their future. There is no future. They're all in on this. And so you might as well just go out and get a running back that you think can help you. And it's not a guarantee that Delvin cook won't be better than last year. It's possible that he could be in a part-time type of role. Certainly is a lot of money to give a running back in a part-time type of role. But if he ends up being a part-time back for them and runs 180 times and he gets a handful of long touchdowns, they're going to call that a success. And every so often, someone like the Danian Tomlinson, who is a all-time great running back goes to the jets and is helpful and useful there. There's a handful of examples of that throughout history of players who are really good going somewhere else. But I still think after seeing this and even seeing how much the jets gave him that the Vikings made the right call. And even seeing that the Vikings backfield beyond Alexander Madison of which I feel like we spent the entire spring talking about interesting. This was going to be, and then we kind of get to a point and go, Oh, well, you know, all right. Um, this, this backup running back situation is not as great as we expected. And Alexander Madison is very likely going to have to carry the load unless they sign Kareem hunt. But I don't think that that changes a whole heck of a lot. If they sign Kareem hunt, it's still Alexander Madison show, but I'm still okay with that. It's a, it's like you break up with somebody and they start dating someone else and you go, wait, should I have broken up with them? And uh, the answer is still yes. When it comes to Delvin cook, because I don't think it was a great idea to still pay him this much money. If this was how much he was looking for from the Vikings, I think the Vikings money was better spent on other guys or would be better spent on bringing in, you know, a, a guard or somebody else to be a situational pass rusher on, you know, like a one-year deal. Uh, by the way, I had an unannounced special guest to join the show this evening. I didn't put this in the description or tell you guys beforehand because I wanted to be surprised that my friend Arif Hassan is entering the show. Uh, Arif, yeah, just uh, randomly inviting you with no connection to anything happening in your life to, into the stream. But uh, how are you, man? What's going on? Uh, I'm I'm doing well. Uh, my life has had some. It just turns out updates. Who's to say? <laughs> but yeah, no. I mean, things are going well. Uh, and uh, as you may be aware, I have followed in your footsteps and launched a Substack of my own. Uh, we'll see if we kind of cannibalize each other in terms of viewership. I'm sure that's how that works. Uh, and so, yeah, it'll be a ton of fun. I'm I'm here to destroy us both. You know, I've never been concerned about that. Uh, you know this. This has always been my theory when it comes to other reporters and then, you know, content creators and stuff coming on my show. I've always felt like there's room for all of us. And I feel that way on Substack as well, uh, that there is room for both of us. But yeah, so you uh, left Pro Football Network and now are starting your own Substack called Wide Left, which I mean, an assault on Vikings fans right off of the bat, but to continue in a different place with your football writing career, I think is an awesome idea. I think it's a 
great fit for you and your writing style that allows you to just be you and just be a reef and write the way that you do. And you have such a unique style that I've always had a lot of respect for, which is why you come on shows and uh, we have, and uh, plus I just didn't like to pick on you. Like, why are you wearing a jacket? Like you just have like strange tendencies like this. It is still summertime, man. Like what do you, you know, you do weird so, things, but uh, I do enjoy Oh, do you want to explain it? Because I did, this is weird. Yeah. So uh, where I'm at right now does not have air conditioning. So I've got like a ton of fans blowing around everywhere. Uh, and uh, it sometimes they overdo it and it's really difficult to modulate the fans. And so now it's actually colder inside than I'd like it to be. Uh, so I've got a hoodie on. Plus, I, I don't know. Hoodies are like comfortable for me. I'd, I'd wear a also... hoodie in the summer if you know I could. Yeah, this is also like you of not knowing how to like do anything, but I'm also that way as well. I, like, I'm not surprised that there you can't even use fans correctly because you pretty much just football and uh, tweet. So anyway, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, getting to getting to the the football parts, but pe- people should go check out on your Twitter that you've put out an announcement, a first post explaining what you're doing with wide left. And I think it's going to be cool. So I imagine it's wide left.substack.com is probably the place. Uh, that's what it's going to be. The person who owns wide left.substack.com has agreed to give it to me, but Substack's pretty slow about updating when that happens. So right now it's wide left post.substack.com. Okay. Why? Yeah, that I still so I I created a separate website that has everything, but I still couldn't figure out how to get purpleinsider.com to just go to the Substack. So I just built a whole other website. But I believe that if you go to purpleinsider.football, it does take you to the place. Because I bought that just because I thought that that was awesome. So you know, funny. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, feel free to take it. So anyway, well, why don't why don't you jump into the fray here, Arif? Because I've been doing this every night, uh, and there's a lot of questions that people are asking that I think everyone would also enjoy your perspective on, and not hear me give some of the same answers. And I've got some fan questions to answer as well. But how about a reaction to what I was just talking about? Delvin Cook signing with the Jets, and I made the comparison of like when someone else signs your player and pays you a bunch of uh, pays him a bunch of money you go wait did we miss something uh, were, were we supposed to be paying him that much money but <laughs> i think the answer is that delvin cook will probably be fine and have a few highlight plays that make people think it was great with the jets but it overall won't be that efficient of a play and the vikings made a better choice just moving on even if madison is not the next adrian peterson yeah, in, in the unlikely scenario that Madison is not the next Adrian Peterson, I think the Vikings will still find a way to weather that storm. Um, but yeah, it's actually, I'm kind of curious about it because the way the deal was reported, um, you could tell that an agent, you know, kind of kind of let some people know how it worked out because it's up to $8.6 million. And I don't know how incentive-laden the structure is. I don't know what guarantees there are in it. I don't know what the base salary is, that kind of thing. So that's that is some context, but I imagine... Um, a good chunk of the incentives that they would ask him to hit, he's already hit and would be likely to earn. And so they would cost against the cap. And that allows us to have the conversation about whether or not it would have been worth it for another team or the Vikings specifically to do it. And and I think that if you're approaching something like, let's say it's a $6 million cap hit with like two and a half in incentives, if that's what it turns out to be, I don't think any details have been leaked yet. Um, then I, I think that, yeah, that would be too much for the Vikings. Um, I think that, you know, right now the Vikings are 
kind of cycling through some interesting names. You know, I think if they were aggressive about wanting to sign someone like a Dalton Risner, they would have been more aggressive and they didn't. It's not like he's got this remarkable market that he's testing right now. Um, so, you know, th- there's that, but they also, you know, want to figure out kind of like, what are we going to do with TJ Hawkinson? What are we going to do if, if we still want to have long-term plans for Daniel Hunter? I think that in terms of like starting players hitting free agency in 2024, the Vikings are near the top of the list, just in terms of numbers of projected starters. And so there's like a lot that they have to juggle there. And so they're going to want either rollover space or they're going to want to extend those guys now, put some of that into this year's cap. And so I don't know that investing in a running back like that, especially at six to eight and a half million dollars in cap it, whatever that turns out to be, would make a ton of sense. You're just I, I don't think you'll get the same production from Madison as you as Cook will get with the Jets this year, which, by the way, from the Jets perspective, I don't think it makes sense. Um Maybe it's like, a, hey, we got a this quarterback. He wants him, so he's our guy now. Um, and it 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 doesn't escape me that it's like right after the Zeke deal to the Patriots got announced. Like I'm sure that played a role, but um, yeah, I, I I would have to think that like, yeah, you're not going to get the same production out of Madison. You might get some big play stuff out of Ty Chandler. I'm kind of a little bit further down on Kenny Wongu just after kind of watching what he did. You know, last year when he had opportunities, obviously he's been a little bit too injured to play, um, you know, a, a serious amount or any amount in the preseason uh, or participate in a serious amount of practices. But I don't know if that there's going to be a ton of big play potential outside of Chandler. So if he doesn't have it, you don't have it. But that's not really, I think, what the run game is. Fit. Eventually you'll get a 60-yard touchdown, which is just a dangerous way to live. Um, but here I think it's just like O'Connell is just like, yeah, you just can't, you just can't have negative plays. Uh, three yards on first and 10, not ideal, but you live with it. And Madison is good at that. He's good at avoiding the negative plays. If you want, you know, three to five yards, you know, it's there. He's got maybe a ceiling of 10 yards if everything's working out for him. And that's fine because the floor of like, you know, one or two yards on most runs is going to be there. And and that's good. And you're going to keep the offense on track. He really emphasizes having an expansive playbook available to him on second down. And when you're on second and 13, you don't have it. So yeah, I think that having something uh, like that available to you in Alexander Madison is, is more worth it at $3 million or whatever it is than having Dalvin Cook, who I am still pretty skeptical about in his ability to, to create the positives. Um, what would Dalvin Cook could provide somebody like the Vikings? Yeah, it's funny about um, Kevin O'Connell, and I respect this because this is the way I would do it, is everything about his running back is just about the passing game. Like, can you pass block? That's the thing with Ty Chandler. Ty Chandler's way faster than Alexander Madison. It's not particularly close. His acceleration is better. His breakaway speed, he runs a 4.38. And yet, at the same time, it's, hey, he can't pass block. It just keeps coming up. Like he can't pass block. He can't pass block, which is very difficult for inexperienced running backs. If you care about that sort of thing, which Kevin O'Connell clearly does. And I think a major part of it is that he likes these long developing routes. He likes to have, you know, corner routes, post routes, developing down the field with multiple moves for Justin Jefferson. And he knows that Kirk is going to have to sit in that pocket and just got his tail completely whooped last year doing it and would like, and here's the thing about, you know, Delvin cook, when Delvin cook came into the Vikings, he was presented as sort of the anti Adrian Peterson, somebody who could do it all. Like maybe he wasn't as good of a breakaway back, but he's amazing at catching the ball, pass blocking. He's going to do it all. 
That turned out not to be true. By the PFF metrics, he wasn't any better at pass protection than Adrian Peterson was. And we know as far as a receiver, we rarely ever saw him go downfield. It was almost exclusively just screens of which any running back who's serviceable can run after getting screens. Uh, one of my favorite stats ever, I brought this up on the show the other night, is that Leroy Horde averaged more yards per catch than Marshall Falk because that's how running backs as receivers work. It's just that Leroy may have had a couple of uh, big gains or something, and you know that, that worked out that, for him. That's a like, good that's, stat to have in your pocket. It, that's a great talker. It, isn't it great though? But yeah. every running back averages 8.2 yards per catch for their career. Like that's just how it's going to be. And their catch numbers are entirely how much you like to check down or throw swing passes or screens to your running back. So you got to figure that like Madison could do every bit as much or more in terms of catching the ball and running after screens for the most part. It's just those breakaway runs. And I even looked at this. I looked at how often Madison got a 10 yard run. Not, and not like a 15, 25, whatever. And it was pretty similar to Delvin Cook for a, for a 10 to 15 yard run. It's just that there was no 75 yard runs. And that does matter. And look, even that play in Buffalo where no one was around him, it still probably doesn't result in a touchdown if it's Madison. And so that is the difference. But how many of those are there a year? One or two, if any. And so I, I think they're looking for the consistency. They want to be in second and five if they're running on first down. They want to get to third and one if they're handing off on second and six and not get caught in the backfield. And I think that they're okay with that for Madison. But for me, it was more just about like, why would you go with a known commodity that is not improving when you are trying to figure out who's going to be a part of this? Because if you give Madison this opportunity and he just isn't good, I think that's okay because then you know. If he works out great, then you have your running back for next year and maybe a couple of years after that because he doesn't have that much mileage on his body. Maybe you've got your Latavius Murray who just continues to be good in the NFL. But if you just had uh, Delvin Cook for another year, even if he's good, then he's 29 and what are you doing anyway? Right, yeah. I mean, that's like that's kind of like a big part because the contract that he was on, you know, kept him for the Vikings or kept him around the Vikings for a little bit. And so, you know, trying to figure out you know, what am I going to do with a 29-year-old back who's been a primary bell cow? And the only reason that he's not been on the field is because he's been hurt, which is the thing I'm concerned about anyway, right? So, yeah, it's, it's you know, maybe that they could have invested in the back earlier than the seventh round and, and maybe been a bit more aggressive about finding a three-down guy. But honestly, I think that this is a pretty good approach because you've got Madison available to you, right? And having that as a floor just in terms of the baseline production that you're going to get is a good place to be as an offense, especially an offense that wants the run to be effective enough for you to be able to build play action off of it, for you to be able to have second and fives, for you to be able to, you know, credibly threaten it in any situation where you want to run the ball without losing too much on the back end to allow, for example, cousins to be at the line of scrimmage. If you feel comfortable checking into a run or checking out of a run, based off of the back that he has. He doesn't have to think about that one too much, right? So having all of that available, I mean, that's actually kind of tough. Like you said, the pass protection stuff for backs who haven't don't have experience with that in college um, is really difficult to learn. It actually was really difficult for Alexander Madison to learn. The first couple of years that he was with the Vikings, he just wasn't getting his assignments right, just like at Boise State. Now he has that, and it's just a really difficult thing to to get backs into. I mean, some pretty talented backs have been um, take uh, cut even, but even push back down on the depth chart because of those pass protection issues, because you can't check out of plays when they're in there. I think Jeremy McNichols is a really good example of that. 
Tampa Bay. He was like a third round pick. I want to remember. I want to say, um, and he just he, like got cut pretty early in his in his contract. And it's just people underestimate like how critical that is to coaches. And this is one where where coaches and like analytics groups agree a lot. They, in fact, analytics groups think that the most valuable skill set that a running back has that is not replaceable from back to back and has an appreciable difference on like EPA output is pass protection. If you're good at pass protection, you can do so much more. And it's not even just that you prevent a pressure from coming to the quarterback. That's really important, but it's that you've got a wide variety of plays available to you. You don't have to run empty all the time and throw short because they're going to blitz and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, having that sixth, uh, you know, blocker in there gives you a standard set of passing plays that you've been drilling since the spring began. Uh, and so having that, when whatever you do, is going to be pretty important. And so, you know, it is a, a big part of the way coaches design plays and figure out which back they want to go with. And I believe, and this is pure speculation, I haven't heard anything, but I believe that that might be a reason that Ty Chandler hasn't outright overtaken Ken A. Wallow, right? Is that is that pass protection question, right? I if, if, if I were to ask a linebacker to run into a running back, I would trust Ty Chandler to survive that more than Ken A., but in terms of knowing which linebacker to run into, it seems like Kenny may have an advantage. And so um, that that's a part of the discussion that doesn't tend to get enough weight. And that's something that Madison just provides, just baseline. It's something that you can work with. And if he's just not a good enough back at age 28, 29, it's very little risk to the Vikings to just move on and figure out kind of the next running back solution. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I, I think uh, when it comes to running back, so much is determined by things that are out of their control that uh, pass protection is one place where it is under their control. If you can understand where the pressure is coming from, be in the right spots, you can save your quarterback from just one more hit, give him one more second to throw and go down the field, uh, you know, and, and actually have more trust to dial up plays. If you're Kevin O'Connell that are going down the field, if you know that guy's going to be in the right spot, if you're concerned that Ty Chandler, for example, would be uh, not understanding where he's supposed to go, then Kirk's just going to get smacked. And also that teams know that as well. They yeah. would know in their scouting, uh-oh, that guy's in the backfield who doesn't know how to block. Like, let's dial up something that's going to confuse him and we'll get to the quarterback. So that's always like a cat and mouse game that you need to have that good pass protector back there. But as far as Madison, a lot of whether he succeeds on the ground will have to do with you know, whether the guards are good at run blocking, which I thought that they mostly were last year. I think that both the guards are serviceable and Garrett Bradbury might just be good at, at run blocking. The tackles are terrific, so they can do that. And then the scheme and does it fit with the running back that I don't really know yet. Are they going to run a little more power? Are they going to stick with this middle zone that I know you wrote about uh, last year, but you know it was not the same fit for Delvin Cook as outside zone, which he was so 
excellent at doing. And I think that that was never quite a fit. And that might've also played into it. So I think that they, they made the right move. Uh, Jason, the comments said it was $6 million with 2.6 in incentives. And that makes a lot of sense to me. That sounds very different than the, uh, you know, the, the, the number that's put oh, out. To yeah, like, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which is very typical of agents and reporters who get their information from agents and so forth. But there's another question that keeps coming up on the show that I wanted to ask you about, which, uh, Connor sent me a message today, uh, just about the 2022 class. And he writes, is there anything in the defense that Quasi was brought in later in the process and thrown into the fire in 2022 and wasn't given the same amount of time to prep. Now I've brought this up on the show that I asked Quasi after this most recent draft about this very thing. And his answer was there was no question. He felt way more prepared this time, but I also go back to, there's a few factors that Trading down wasn't a preparation thing. That seemed like that was something he had predetermined he was going to do, and no matter the price or maybe his, you know, analytics felt like that was still a trade that you should make. And I just didn't like it. I think when you're trading out of the top 15, you're foregoing a chance at a pro bowler, just the odds of being great in the top 15 versus the odds of being great at 32. And I think you win Super Bowls with great, not a bunch of good players, but because you could find good players, you can't find great players. So that was my like logical questioning. I think you can logically question Andrew Booth Jr. Considering how injured he was, you can very logically question a guard. Like what about showing up late would mean you draft a guard where they did in the second round with the amount of reach and and you're the consensus board guy, the amount of reach. So I guess I feel like the answer is probably yes, that you're right. That his preparation for this most recent draft, which felt like a quasi draft versus the last one may have played into the success or failure. But I also don't think that means we can just go like, Oh, well, you know, you get a free year and like he had a few months. He was in the NFL before. It's not like he was just working at Bank of America and they said, hey, can you run the draft for us? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think what's important to remember is that a lot of times when a new front office comes in, they fire most of the front office and bring in their own guys. That did not happen here. Um, the Vikings uh, kept basically the entire front office. Obviously, they lost like George Payton a couple of years ago and um uh, Jamal Stevenson, I believe, you know, got elevated to a similar role. And I believe he's still with the Vikings. Um, and, you know, maybe, you know, having somebody like a Peyton would have been nice to ease the transition or whatever. But like they had all the same scouts. They had all of the same. And so, you know, maybe the process is something that, you know, went awry there. Right. And that he that he didn't really have, um, you know, an established. But I don't think that is anything to do with late in the process. I think that's just a first time GM thing. It's just like, hey, I don't really um, have a lot of feel for what it's like to trade down or up in the draft. I just know that generally speaking, it's good to trade down. And then I'm a rookie GM and I just kind of got hauled by all of these other more veteran GMs that kind of know how to manipulate the trade market, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, I think he maybe leaned on a heuristic a little bit too much in in the first draft. I think, you know, you might have seen it, but there was like um, some pretty good posts about how like everybody that the Vikings drafted in 2022 was like in the top 10th percentile in 10 yard split, which is just like across every position. Like, is it important at every position? That's interesting. Uh, <laughs> and that didn't happen this year. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm sure that like it may have played a role, but I think it's just as you kind of alluded to the comfort level that he had 
And that is more about being a first-time GM than it is about a GM that, that came in later in the process than other first-time GMs. That's just like, hey, I brought in my buddy, Ryan Grigson. I'm going to lean on him. He says, uh, this Ed Ingram guy is a dancing bear. That sounds like a good thing. Let's go with that. You know, or, you know, our doctors say that Andrew Booth has like a, a 50% chance of, of being as healthy as, as we want him to be. And hey, he's real good. So as second round, you might as well get him. You know, like I'm, I'm sure he made like really quick shortcuts because it's easier to take shortcuts when you're uncomfortable with the process that you're involved in. But I don't think that it like resolves the talent evaluation question. I don't think it resolves some of the questions about like, you know, how assertive he was in trade negotiations, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, it's something to keep in mind. Like if, for example, this draft class bears out, I would say that is more of a credit, I mean, to the extent that, you know, GMs are responsible for the draft classes. Um, I would say it's more a credit to Quasi than the first draft is a demerit, right? I would say that we should say that this is more likely representative of what he could do, but that doesn't mean that we don't have concerns about what happened with that first draft vis-a-vis Quasi's overall performance or that he gets kind of a pass for that. Like, I think if he has um, a bad draft next year, or if this draft doesn't turn out, if Jordan Addison is just a, a camp preseason highlight machine, and that's it, right? Um, then, you know, oops, like the two bad drafts in a row, that's tough. You'll probably get one more knowing the Wilfs, but like, that's tough. So yeah, yeah. that's, no, that's kind of right. where I and, Well, and so I this is where I always kind of swing back and forth on like, how much do we put on the general manager for the draft success or failure? And I think it's entirely about the process. So the process of this year's 2023 draft, drafting a receiver when you didn't technically need one is to me, great process because of how much. If you wanted to go to free agency and get a player who's going to be your number two receiver, potentially, or even number three, you are talking about spending 10 to $20 million, depending on who you're getting. And instead you get them for four years for very cheap. And the high end of Jordan Addison could be an excellent number two wide receiver. There was what the Tyler Lockett comparisons, man, if he's that guy, like, wow, you are in really good for a long time with him paired with Justin Jefferson, setting up for your next quarterback to have two really good wide receivers to pair with potentially TJ Hawkinson and great tackles. Like that's good process to me. Uh, Drafting Makai Blackman, you were probably more against it than I was uh, consensus board wise. Yeah. Um, but it's a late third rounder to me. That's a little, a little more in the like, Oh, you love them. Like, okay, that's okay. It's a corner. You love them. Go for it. Uh, but they also, um, you know, drafted, I think in the last two years, a lot of players in the secondary, which I think is pretty good process trying to build up your secondary. So I I don't dislike that. And I also think a lot of it rests on really one guy with that 2022 class, because All draft classes have busts a lot of, except for, well, even 2015 old Michael Pruitt never really made it. I mean, they, but all draft classes have multiple busts and what you hope for. It's like the Rick Spielman's 2021. Would you take it over again? I would, because you got Christian Derrissaw out of it. Thank you. I don't care about the third rounders. That's life in the draft. If Lewis seen was crushing camp right now, of which there was no real reason to see his odds, not being good. If he was crushing camp right now and Kyle Hamilton hadn't been as good as we expected, then, uh, you know, uh, we'd be talking about what a great decision it was. Oh, they got the top 15 prospect trading down super brilliant. 
Well, even though Andrew Booth didn't work out, Caleb Evans is starting. It really swings on that one player. And was it hit? I mean, I doubt it was Quasi Adolfo Mensa's evaluation, but probably there were people in the organization that he was listening to that said, look, we'll put him next to Harrison Smith, watch him play in the national championship. Was he not like the best player on the field in the national championship for Georgia's uh, defense? He was, right? he, was in, so, he was incredible. And the thing that like really sticks out to me is that multiple Georgia defenders credit him as being the brains of the defense on the field, like a coach on the field, kind of the smartest guy they had. And it's like, man, I would love to see that. I Right. And that's just not translated to the NFL because different. <laughs> that's why it's just, different. it's, yeah. it's too, I I've said, I've said before, it's not like triple a to the majors. It's like T-ball to the majors when it comes to uh, college football to the NFL and the complexity. And what we hear from every player when they get drafted is like, oh, I mean, we did this in, in college. You're like, it's all no, football. It's all football <laughs> at the end of the day. No, it isn't. Uh, so, but when we talk about the process, okay, I don't love the positional value because it's a safety. But if this guy was paired with Harrison Smith and he was great, and then he took over as the number one safety and was this dominant player, this Derwin James type of do anything safety playmaker, change your life. We'd be talking about it very differently. And so that's why I think when there's so much focus on the 2022 failure of that draft, it's like, yeah, I get it. But it's not like they drafted some guy out of Montana state who no one had ever heard of. Like they drafted the best player on Georgia. I don't need to do Troy Anderson like that. It sounds like he's lighting it up for the Falcons. <laughs> I just have to. Uh, I mean, one thing to kind of keep in mind is that it's like one year, right? Like we're really aggressive about evaluating a draft class. And I grade drafts using a consent. It's not even my grades. And I'm like, yeah, this team had a terrible draft. And, you know, I am comfortable with like, you know, being – uh, uncertain about kind of these strong takes, right? It's like, yeah, you know, the Seahawks had a bad draft, but who knows, you know, the Seahawks, you know, right? That kind of thing. But um, I, I would say it is a lot to just say, man, is he a failure after one year? Like that is a lot. Like Ed Ingram looked, aside from a moment or two where he looked lost in the preseason game, he looked good, right? And I don't, I didn't like the pick. I thought he was by far, you know, the biggest with that one's not a hot take that he was the biggest liability on the offensive line last year. I didn't like the pick at the time for a number of reasons. We don't have to go into them, but I think they're pretty obvious. But also, even if you remove kind of all of the the stuff that makes people kind of, you know, uncomfortable, I mean, he was just not that good of a prospect in my eyes and according to the consensus. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't like um, a lot. And I thought that he looked good in the preseason overall. And I thought that that, you know, so if he turns out, and if Brian Asamoa is or Asamoa is everything the Vikings seem to think that he is, and man, do they love him, right? If if those two turn out to be, if Ed Ingram turns into like an average guard and Brian Asamoa turns out to be an above average linebacker, right? You know, maybe the draft is not ideal, but I wouldn't call it a failure, right? To end up with, you know, a couple of players that you're pretty happy with. I mean, just remember, KJ Osborne did not take an offensive snap his rookie year. And now, you know, it is a possibility, despite how good Jordan Addison looks, it's a possibility that KJ Osborne outsnaps him just because of how good of a blocker he is and, you know, how much more of the offense he knows and stuff like that. And I don't think anyone would be, I'm sure a lot of people would be upset, but I don't think it would be a huge detriment to the offense for KJ Osborne to be taking so many snaps as, you know, a wide receiver too or whatever, right? And so, okay, yeah, you know, the 2022 draft didn't pan out, but neither did KJ Osborne after one year. So there's like a lot of room 
for us to to keep on you know checking in on this draft like okay yeah Andrew Booth uh doesn't look like that's going to work out Lewis Seen I'm not so sure but if Caleb Evans is more than just a starter if he's good now I mean you come out of the draft with like three starters that's not common that you might be in a good spot they might not have been where you expected but you might be in a good spot so it's fair to to wonder what's up with that 2022 draft, but it's also important to remember, you know, that those contracts aren't up yet. Right. I mean, every day, like, this is how we just do things. This is like every day uh, we're looking at the new information on the 2022 class and going, uh, Ivan Pace is getting first team reps over Asamoah. A little concerned about that. And, you know, Andrew Booth Jr. is not playing and Lewis Seen is not playing. But even if you go back, and this is not, again, to defend the process, I didn't love it for the 2022 draft. There was a lot of things we questioned, and I would continue to go back and question and wonder, was that really the right way to approach it? But uh, Lewis Seen's career is not over. And Trey Wayne's going into his third year in 2017. We were like, is this guy, can this guy even play? And they had a a disaster. He was the first two years. Right. He had a good camp. And then he ends up having a really good 2017 season plays starting outside corner on the number one defense in the NFL. I mean, not that he was an amazing pick and it's hilarious that he was the first rounder compared to the other guys taken in that draft by the Vikings. But that's just the point of sometimes these things change on a dime. Even Garrett Bradbury. I've had maybe two people ask the entire offseason, hey, is Bradbury going to keep doing what he did last year? Because he suddenly took a step forward that we didn't necessarily see coming after being benched in 2021 because it was a better fit. And that's how offensive linemen work. And life is weird. So we can't really call it yet with this. It's just the early trend is not particularly good with 2022 and but I think it does devolve into a different subject uh, regarding Kwesi Adafo-Mensa because I think that this last offseason was maybe underappreciated by Vikings fans in how bold it is to take a 13-win team and get rid of everybody who's old I I don't remember seeing that very often it is well, I, I it is a very bold approach. To remember um, when they didn't do that after 2009, right? They they held on to. I mean, they should have kept on holding on to Antoine Winfield, but they held on to Antoine Winfield and Kevin Williams and Jared Allen and you know I, I think Ben Lieber stayed on for that year too. Um, and it's just like you know all of these guys that were pretty instrumental to that 2009 season. It was pretty. I shouldn't say clear, but like it was the the writing was on the wall, right? Like. That was your shot. You know, you're not going to get like you could try to woo Brett Favre back. But, you know, is that smart? Turns out, no. And then you could have begun, you know, like, okay, we got to keep Phil Lodeholt. But, you know, Bryant McKinney, you got well, I guess he was out of there. But like, we got to we got to move on. You know, Steve Hutchinson's not going to be here forever. We got to find, you know, the next guy. It's not going to be Anthony Herrera, that kind of thing. Right. And and they didn't move on. Right. And so they ended up um, having to to you know move these guys or just cut them for no compensation whatever move these guys for very little compensation after the 2010 season and it was really tough and it caused a lot of problems in the locker room because it's like well Antoine Winfield you're cutting him right before he hits an incentive what what are you doing there and you know all kind, and so you know, moving on from the guys that are probably not going to be huge assets for you it's a very cruel calculating business um right after a 13 win season, I think shows first awareness of what that 13 win season really was. Right. And I think it's really difficult for a team to be aware of that. 
Um, so props to them for that. But also, like, they were also, I don't know about aggressive, but they were also assertive about having plans in place for that sort of thing, right? Like, okay, you know, Eric Hendricks, he's unfortunately going to have to go, but we're really excited about Brian Osmore, and we're going to sign the top undrafted, you know, linebacker in free agency, right? Um, Harrison Smith, that's an interesting one because they did have a safety, but, like, it's Harrison Smith. That one's a little bit different. But Adam Thielen, they were like, well, you didn't necessarily produce. We're just going to draft a guy. If that guy's not there when we draft, K.J. Osborne was pretty good. And hey, Irv Smith is gone. We've got T.J. Hawkinson. We traded for him, which when we talk about GM moves, we don't usually include the T.J. Hawkinson trade because it didn't occur in the GM period of the offseason. But hey, props, right? Great, great move. Oh, my gosh. Right? And, you know, consistently building on that secondary to be comfortable saying, hey, Cameron Dancer, I know you started, but that was the problem. So you're gone, you know? Um I think that that, uh, that is something that the, the front office definitely deserves credit for. And not just because they had um, a plan moving forward, it's because they had players in place where they could say, all right, if we don't draft our corner, Caleb Evans played all right. Let's hope, you know, maybe he'll have to compete with some guys, but, you know, he'll play. And then we'll bring in, you know, some like a Joan Williams and we'll spend up that corner with Byron Murphy and, and so on. So it's not just that they um you know brought in guys to deal with some of the veterans that they had to let go of or trade away it's that they also had plans in place already right they're like kairos tonga might have something dalvin tomlinson you were amazing but you got to go um kairos tonga we've got something we're going to bring in you know uh, you know a guy in the fifth round maybe he'll do something but for, and dean lowry right but yeah i i think that that is something that you know we don't really kind of because when we get when when teams like go of veterans we just kind of assume, yeah it was inevitable not every front office does that. And certainly never after a 13-win season. I mean, yeah. they always run it back. I, I, I just cannot think of another example of where a team won 13 games. And especially, I mean, uh, usually they do something even crazier. Like they'll uh, sign Kirk Cousins or something. But I mean, even just other teams. And wasn't it, didn't the Eagles win something like 11 or 12 games? And then they went and signed a bunch of guys. And that was the dream, the dream team. team. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. Like that's that's what I think of. When I think like a team wins 13 games and thinks that they're a blank away and then they just sign whatever, spend too much money, like a running back, Delvin Cook, and think, oh, we're right there, right? And uh, so to, to do that, I think was very bold that if it's not nailed down or it's not going to be a part of the future, then it's going to go. And it was a slow burn. So I think that changed it too. It wasn't like on one day. Uh, when I was a kid, they cut Thurman Thomas, Andre Reed, and Bruce Smith on the same day. And so like, uh, yeah, wow, that what a day for the Bills organization, right? And uh, then Thurman Thomas signed with the Dolphins and it was, it was just a disaster. But Note for immaculate uh, grid users. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, any Buffalo Bills for that, I just crushed. Yesterday, I got Matt Bowen for Buffalo and Washington. It was like 0.3%. The only crazy. one got it, I'm sure, was Matt Bowen himself. So I'm <laughs> yeah, very proud. Of, <laughs> yeah. Very proud of Which, that. Uh, but speaking of guys came, that like taught me way too much about football early in my writing career, Matt Bowen, shout out. Oh, he's the best. Yeah, yeah, Matt Bowen's the best. But anyway, the point just being that it never happens. They did it. It's bold. It's unique. And the competitive rebuild idea is even, I think, a difficult one to pull off. But they had a plan when they started. And this 
to me, this offseason stuck with that plan. And so I think I have to evaluate what Kwesi Adafo Mensa does versus the plan and, and, and what is going to take for the plan to succeed, which also involves like drafting Jordan Addison and getting you know, young defensive players to try to get that defense to peak at the right time while your rookie quarterback contract is happening and know who you're going to keep for the future so you can sign the rest. Like, I, I see it. That's the point is that I see what he's trying to do, and I don't think it's as effective is tanking for the top quarterback. I know it isn't, but I also think that in the circumstances that you're given the plan that you laid out, I think it makes a lot of sense. And yet at the same time, I think that there are a lot of people and and you can speak to this because you uh, have been following this team your entire life. But I think that there is a Viking fan psyche from some people that just no matter what they do until they are actually in the Super Bowl, it's going to be the person in charge doesn't know what they're doing. And I, that that is a, I'm not saying that I think no, yeah, you game of the year because yeah. it's always easier to tear down than build up. So I'm not saying like, yeah, get, like you put a ring on him right now. Okay. Or something. Or, or what did Denny say? Like you want to crown him? I'm you not crown crowning him. him okay. Yeah. Not crowning him. All I'm saying is that so far, the information we have, I think they did the right thing after that season with all of the people that they let go. And I think their approach was good to set up for the future. And that's all I can judge Kwesi Adafo Mensa on right now. Yeah, exactly. Like you can only kind of figure out kind of some of the results and mostly the process. And if you think that process is playing out in a way that it makes sense, right? That's kind of the way that you can evaluate. Like, obviously, some of the results include, like, what's happening in these drafts, what's happening, you know, in, in like, contract world. Like, if Eric Kendricks and Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook all have banner years, like, yeah, I mean, I didn't see it coming, so clearly I'm not qualified to run a team, but that's that guy's job. And so, you know, if, if he doesn't see it coming, that's a problem. Uh, and so, you know, I like that approach right now based, I mean, I might've still kept Eric Hendricks, I'm being honest, but I like that approach right now based off of kind of all of the things that we know. We know they probably wouldn't have been able to retain Sidarius. They had to do something there. Um, High Times mentioned that they lost out on Tomlinson. I, 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 if they wanted Tomlinson for real, they would have gotten him. Um, <laughs> that's kind of my thoughts on that. But, um, you know, they, they were, um, very disciplined in that approach, you know, and then we're like, Hey, you know, these are kind of the, the graduation steps that we have. Some things we didn't expect. We didn't expect the Zedaria Smith thing. We're going to have to figure something out. Cool. We got Marcus Davenport. You know, we have Zedaria Smith at home, right? Like, you know, like plays inside and outside. What more do you need? But like, um, yeah, I, I think that they were disciplined in the approach. They rolled up the punches and they've, they've kept that plan. And I think one thing to kind of keep in mind is that I'm pretty confident this ownership doesn't allow tanking. I think the ownership hates the very idea of it. And so your job just doesn't allow it, right? You don't get to be the 76ers. Um, and so I, given those constraints, how they've gamed this out, I, it's, it's interesting because I, I, I was really critical after, after the first offseason of the way that they, and then they go on to win 13 games, of course, um, of the way that they chose to, to try and walk this really difficult tightrope of replenishing the team while maintaining its competitive status. So, um, you know, props to them for, for so far navigating that tightrope really well, but like, yeah, I, I think that there's a default assumption, right. That you, that you mentioned that until someone comes home with the Lombardi, 
right? It, they just don't know what they're doing. And it's like one of those things where in assumption, if it keeps on getting proven correct by whatever metric that you're using, that's just gonna, it's just going to reinforce it no matter how like ridiculous it is, right? Like, I mean, Mike Zimmer ultimately was a good coach, right? Like that's, yeah, they were right to move on from him when they did, especially when they did. But like, we should not look back on the Zimmer era as if it were a failure, even though he didn't get a ring. He was a good coach. They were a three-win team when he took them over. Um, you know, th- like, but, you know, uh, people will just, like, the only time I, I've seen a pushback on this is Denny Green, actually, when it's like, yeah, they didn't give him enough of a chance, which is true. But like, yeah, they didn't give enough of a chance. And then, you know, they suddenly started being bad after they fired him. Wh- who would have thought? Um, but yeah, for the most part, it's just like, yeah, this team has never won anything. Why should I trust them? And okay, I get it. But at some point you have to fairly evaluate what's happening. I also think that there is a reaction to how different Kwesi Adafo-Mensa is from every general manager you've ever had. Rick Spielman was the GM for a long time. Rick Spielman is a, I, I think, probably a very, very knowledgeable football scout and evaluator And I would love to watch a bunch of college players with him and learn about how to evaluate them. And I I think that he knows that inside and out upside down. And I think that he tried to push into the analytics world, but sort of like, sort of like in the way that if I tried to learn Spanish right now, and then talk to you in a, in a couple of weeks in Spanish, and you'd be like, Okay, well, those are some Spanish words, and uh, it sounds like you've got a few sentences down, but Kwesi Adafo Mensa made his bones there, but he's very different. And I think anytime that someone is different in their background, someone who came from an analytics background, the Wall Street thing, and just how different he is in comparison to what we think of with football scouting GMs, which of course he's not the only one like this. I mean, Howie Roseman is the one that's easiest to bring up Andrew Barry in Cleveland. There's a number of guys who don't have exactly the, I played football and then I did more football and scouted more football. Like not everyone's like that, especially in other sports for sure are not like that, but I do think that's an adjustment. I also think him talking to the public has been an adjustment that he's consistently getting better at, but you have to remember this is someone who's never done that ever before and and, you know so i think that there's some of the things that he said along the way that you could kind of grab onto and be like i don't know like who says this but that's i that's i think what like I, i asked someone the other day did you want an old football scout robot to take over for your old football scout robot? Like I thought that what you wanted was something different in, in something that seemed more modern. And if you look at from top to bottom, from the way that they're coached to how rarely they have hard practices to who they don't play in preseason to all of these things, right? Like they are doing the cutting edge stuff and, and look, it might not work. It might not work, but in a way, it's like, and sometimes I think like, well, what do I, what am I, what do I, what can I be mad at if I think that their process is going right, right now? Like if you're a Vikings fan, you have to be mad at something and uh, because they haven't won a championship. But I just think that a lot of those things that for years, you and I would do these podcasts and just shout into microphones that they, we like, were so frustrated with them that Quasi is like, oh yeah, I, 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 I agree with you guys. You know what I mean? So <laughs> we're on maybe the same page. it's like, ah. <laughs> yeah, someone accused me of this and, and they're exactly right. They're like, well, he does things that you like with analytics. I'm like, 
uh-huh like the whole rest of the football universe or, or and the rest of baseball and basketball and all the like yes that's absolutely right so again that's not to say that we're like oh my gosh they have the best gm in the league and they should just like win a championship tomorrow it's just that i think that a lot of the things that they did wrong under spielman and zimmer have changed in the right direction and let's see where it goes from there yeah. And, and like, you know, obviously they have to be built on a foundation that works. You have to be good at football evaluation and scouting. You just have to be good at those things for any analytics process to work out. Like they always kind of assume that we're uh, that like the decision makers have a pretty good grasp of the things that decision makers usually have a good grasp of. And maybe that's not always fair. If you switch somebody's background, obviously he has attempted to account for that in a lot of ways and, you know, credit to him for being you know, humble enough to be like, yeah, I don't know anything about football. So I'm going to, you know, surround myself with people who do. But um, yeah, it's, I, I think that, I think that your approach makes a lot of sense here because it's just like, okay, well, I'm given where we're coming from. I'm really happy about the direction that we're going in. We can't just give someone a gold star for thinking in ways that the rest of the league is thinking in, right? Like we can't just be like, great. You know, you, you, you've now accomplished what most of the league has done, right? But that doesn't make you the Ravens or the Eagles. It's like, yeah, okay, they also use analytics, but also they're good at the stuff that if they didn't use analytics, they'd still be pretty good, right? <laughs> like that's like that's like the thing. Um, and his mindset is really like he talks about like you look know, like, all you can do with with um, you know analytics and data analysis and all that. All you can do is just improve your odds a little bit. That's all you can do, and you need to stack up those opportunities for that to matter. You can improve your odds every so often. And you want to go from being the sucker to the house. That's the only thing that I really have much control over. And that's probably true. Um, but, you know, it, it makes it really, you know, difficult for us to kind of say, well, okay, now that we have a good process in place, are you executing it well? Was it was it correct for you to just say, Dalton Risner, I know you're asking for seven. Uh, best we can do is five and a half. Right. Does that does that make sense? And those are the those are the areas where we can, you know, begin to to have a conversation about like, okay, well, now they've got the priority set. They understand kind of the way that they need to approach things. They're comfortable with running a football team now, which wasn't necessarily true a year and a half ago. Um, but have they made the right decisions within that framework? And that I think is kind of the next step. Now we've, we've taken the Vikings kind of out of the basement when it came to the way that they made decisions. And now they're starting at the ground floor, but like that, like we we're trying to get them to climb a ladder, right? Like to extend the analogy, and and they haven't done that yet. And so now we're going to evaluate the way that they go about doing that. And here's the other thing: someone has to say it when we get to the end of this road, where we've sort of gone through all of this stuff and how we feel about where they are from the general manager standpoint. And what somebody has to say is their decision at quarterback's going to make them a genius or a fool. I, I think that's just the reality. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, that's just football. I mean, if if Kansas City drafted Patrick Mahomes and he turned out to be Sam Darnold, Andy Reid would be fired. Their general manager would be a laughing stock because he got rid of Alex Smith when they were a winning team. Like the a lot of team. things. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. A lot of teams, uh, a lot of teams, entire histories just rest on. Did you get the right guy to play quarterback? But here's where I would give him more credit than any other move through this offseason is not extending Kirk Cousins and leaving that door. And I, I didn't love the way that they restructured, thought that that was probably a bit of 
maybe they should have just released Alvin Cook early on, made that cap space to get under the cap. Like a uh, hindsight, did you need to switch the fifth round picks with the sixth for Zadarius Smith? But, you know, hindsight on that one. But I think we could have said early on, you're not getting much in trades for those guys. So you probably should have just, just done it there, not restructured, kept Kirk's contract the way it was. But leaving that door open to draft the next quarterback or however it's going to happen, if we're talking about what can swing you the most toward a ring, it's probably having the quarterback on a rookie contract, hitting on the next quarterback, whatever it is, is going to give you the best chance. So the fact that they are in a position to do that at some point. And I, and there's a season that's got to be played. So I hate bringing this up. It's yeah. like, I love talking about the quarterback situation, but also I kind of want to move on quickly. Cause it's like, there's a season and there's camp and everything joint practices. Like, but, uh, I, I just think that that, I think that that's the entire reality of the situation is they've set themselves up for the next quarterback to come in here, have one of the best circumstances in the league and succeed. If he doesn't, they're in a lot of trouble. And that's just the fact of the matter. Yeah, I mean, like what we're talking about is, you know, making sure that you've got a weighted coin on your side, right? That it's not 50-50, it's 55-45. But when it lands on heads, as it will do 55% of the time, is it going to matter, right? Like, is it, are you going to get a payout from it? And that, that is the quarterback question, right? Um, and the ability to kind of refine the evaluation process for a quarterback um no one has really demonstrated that they've been able to generate a consistent advantage at that. Um, the closest you might be able to get is the Patriots, which that clearly has not turned into a new starter for them. Like, okay, yeah, you tu- you turned out Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett and uh, Brian Hoyer, maybe? I don't know if that counts. Uh, and Matt Castle, who didn't even play in college. So, you know, salute. But um, like you did all that. Let's call Brady a fluke. We're not even going to give you credit for that. You did all that with all these other things. You're bold enough to trade away Drew Bledsoe. uh, And now you have Mac Jones. You just, you can't just be right. Like you just, it's not like you also, you you also did the Ryan Mallett thing, right? Like you can't just be right all the time. And so even if that's, that's probably the closest we have to a team that's like kind of consistently gotten on the better side of this quarterback question Maybe, you know, the Eagles, the Gardner Minshew outplayed his fifth round pick. Jalen Hurts, obviously. I don't know about Carson Wentz. I don't know what to say about that. But, you know, that whole thing. Um, Nick Foles, they were just like, yeah, no, we'll resign the back of that one. Yeah, let's do that. Um, but, like, for the most part, you can't. You just can't do it. And so, um, you know, you can set up all this other stuff. You can, you can gain edges in saying, hey, I like tackles this much more than guards. That helps your team. That kind of investment helps your team a little bit more. Um, you know, I don't think that defensive interior guys need to rush the pass unless they're Aaron Donald. So I'm going to make sure that I've got edge rushers and blitzers that can make up for it. That's going to give us a percentage odds. Yeah, but unless you've got a quarterback, that's that's the difference between, you know, five and seven wins maybe, right? But that quarterback is going to move you from, you know, those seven wins to like 12. So that's that's kind of and it sucks because like when you when you cover a sport that is so that rotates around one position so much, it really stops a lot of conversations. But that's just, you know, the way that it works. That's the reality of it. So I'm la- I'm chuckling at this from our friend. What about Bob uh, who brings up the Packers? But but First of all, who wants to say Brian Brom? Do you want to bring up Brian Brom? <laughs> Did they they crack the did they crack the code when they drafted Brian Brown? It just and hey, uh, look, with the Graham Harrell, right? Yeah, the, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the um, it's really funny because uh, you know, 
I'm I bring up Buffalo a lot because that's where I grew up. But, you know, Buffalo had Jim Kelly and they went to the Super Bowl over and over and over because he was just so freaking good. And then they just chased and chased and chased and chased and chased. And it felt hopeless. It felt like never again will you ever have a good quarterback and you should shut down the franchise and not even move it. Just shut it down, implode the stadium. Like it's never going to work. JP Lossman, Kelly Holcomb, EJ Manuel, just why? And then Josh Allen comes and all of a sudden it's just, there it is. Like just the clouds part and there he is. And now you're in the, now your expectations are Super Bowl every year. So that just kind of demonstrates how random and weird that can be that that franchise has two unbelievable quarterbacks mixed in between bookending a, a horror show, including oh, yeah. Drew Bledsoe, which was a total disaster for them. <laughs> and that, and that, and that was my life at the time i probably would have made the same move if i were them isn't it funny though that i uh left and then they got the good quarterback like the whole time i was there they it, i never covered i a think playoff i think game. it's causal i think you know it's yeah it's for sure yeah for sure i i mean if there's if there's correlation there is causation i think that that's what oh Isaac yeah if, we've learned anything from the analytics movement it's that Hundred uh, percent. But it is funny that I I worked there and I'm like when I first got the job, I was on the air once before a hockey playoff game, and then they never made it again my entire time there. And the Bills never made it my entire time there. So the 2017 Minneapolis Miracle was the first playoff game I actually ever covered as a reporter. How about that? Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Uh, Arif, this has been super fun. I'm really glad that you could uh, stop by. And we will definitely do it again. This is where you can find a reef hilariously uh, wide left post.substack.com. It's better to just go to a reef's Twitter, which everyone already follows a reef anyway, and just see your first post there and uh, writing about your new venture. I'm very happy for you and always happy to support you and in, in whatever you do. So uh, that's where your football writing is going to be. You're going to write Vikings. You're going to write other stuff. And I think this is cool because uh, having become independent after being in traditional media for a long time, one of the things that I just have really enjoyed is doing it my way and, and, you know, kind of making my own decisions and writing the way I want to write, not feeling like I have to do it for somebody else, how someone else wants to do it. And I feel like that's really perfect for you. So again, I'll throw it on the screen, wideleftpost.substack.com, which will soon be wideleft.substack.com. So uh, good luck with that. And, and thanks again, man. This was a really fun conversation. Appreciate it. Yeah, this is a ton of fun. Thanks for bringing me on. And uh, people don't know this, but uh, Collar gave me all kinds of really useful advice on starting this sub stack. So it's more than just like bringing me onto a show. He was really supportive. He, he's a no, soft. I just texted you. I just texted you. You're going to fail and you should stop trying. That's and that's what, what motivated me. That was. That was yeah, oh, yeah. OK. It's like, yeah, like Zimmer. <laughs> like I created a culture of fear and then that helped you. So you're welcome. Uh, all right. Well, I'm going to stay on and chat with some fans here, but. Thanks. Thanks so much, man. And, uh, and best of luck with the new venture. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Peace out. For sure. All right. Our friend, Arif. Great stuff. Great stuff. Always, 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 always love chatting with Arif. So, uh, I got a few more fan questions that have been emailed to me, but of course you guys have been listening to this conversation the entire time. And it was suggested I'll take more suggestions by the way, on the background, but I'll tease what I've got coming. So I've got, I bought this giant picture 
of downtown Minneapolis that's like in panels that is going to go back here. So I'm hoping that it looks awesome. And then the bottom side will be these pictures and the book that's lit up over here. And I'm hoping to get this lamp actually to be on and stuff like that. So, you know, and maybe some bookshelves on the outside. I saw bookshelves get suggested. Love that. So we'll get them out here and it'll be a whole thing. It's going to look really cool. And at some point we're going to have people coming into the studio like Manny Hill to do uh, hot routes. You know, we'll get a whole, it's going to be a whole thing. We're working on it. Uh, speaking of whole things, by the way, uh, where is my file? There it is. So later this month, I am going to be doing some live broadcasts from Las Vegas for a couple days because it is the circa uh, millions. Uh, it is the, the biggest uh, pro football contest in Las Vegas with circa. It's back for another year. 14 million in guaranteed prizes only at Circus Sports. They're flying me out there. We're going to broadcast from there for a couple of days. It's going to be really cool. You enter in Vegas, but you uh, with with a couple of ways to play, but you can it doesn't have a rake to it and you can play from anywhere, but you enter from Vegas and it's the million pro football contest with quarterly payouts. 100% payback. You pick a winner with the survivor contest, select a team each week, no point spread, and you get your share. Uh, if you can you know, obviously win uh, with the survivor contest, so you got to sign up there, but you can play anywhere. So, you know, if you're headed out there at some point, make sure you uh, stop by Circa. It is a very cool place. They are sponsoring the show. They're going to bring me out there uh, for the game as well when the Vikings play Vegas. So that's going to be like Purple Insider crew assemble when we do that. So make sure you uh, get in on this and go to Circa, C-I-R-C-A, sports.com for more details. So that's going to be fun. Neon lights in the back. I have this here, and I don't know what to do with it exactly. I've kind of just had it here illuminating me, this uh, neon light. Need the Oakleys on the table? Where are they? You want to put them back here maybe? Put the Oakleys back here. Does that look cool? Uh, it doesn't look that cool, but it's not, it's not a bad idea. Maybe I can get those illuminated. Yeah, it kind of looks cool. All right, we'll work on it. We'll keep working on it. So uh, if you guys have any more questions, we'll keep going for a little bit. I did get some more emails that I wanted to answer as well. So I'm going to do that. Uh, Ryan sent me an email and asked, on positional value, we draft offensive line and sign veteran defensive line. Doesn't it make a lot more sense to sign veteran guards and draft defensive linemen? I agree with you. I agree with that. I totally agree with that, actually. I think that highly drafted defensive linemen are the only place to get great ones most of the time. Yes, there are exceptions. Daniel Hunter is certainly one of them. But a lot of the time, success on the defensive side, and there was a great article in The Athletic last year about this, success on the defensive side, especially the D-line, usually correlates with what kind of athlete the guy is. I mean, yeah, not all great athletes succeed, but usually the guys that succeed are great athletes. And that exists on the D line where with offensive line, because it takes so long to develop that you're really not sure you could be three years in with a guy and think that he's coming along and just never have it work. And, and then you're just up a Creek for three years waiting as opposed to spending your money on the defensive line where it's, or, or I'm sorry, the offensive line where it's proven players. The only trouble with that is, Teams don't like to let go good offensive linemen. So if they do, a lot of times it's hard to get a bargain, I think, on the offensive line, because usually if they're good, 
the team just keeps them. And so you end up with a lot of like Dalton Reisner. Why is he on the free agent market at this point? That always ends up coming up. And we saw with Josh Klein, clearly there were some injury issues with Josh Klein. He played for a year and then that was it. And he retired or just never played again. I, I, I assume he's retired. I, I never saw anything about why he never played again, but I imagine that it was just injuries that piled up over his career. So that is part of the issue is if it's a great offensive lineman, you pay massive, massive, massive money to get a Joe Tooney or a Trent Williams. Or, and then the next level down, it isn't like great, pretty good, okay, bad. It's more like great, and then okay, and then bad for the free agents. It's hard to get someone who's a good deal. But theoretically, I agree with you that drafting defensive linemen is probably the right way to go, and drafting offensive linemen comes along with a lot of risk. At the same time, your two tackles are elite players. So maybe this is a guard thing because tackles, I also think it takes usually elite athleticism to be a great tackle. So and maybe it's more of a guard thing. Uh, let's see. Um, gay, uh, no, I, uh, I be strafing uh, on Twitter, sent me a note, said uh, Vikings ran a three, four front with only one off ball linebacker and slot corner in the preseason game. I think they are planning on using this to combat popular run game concepts. Uh, will it impact the 53-man roster? That is possible that they would keep maybe one less linebacker, but I also think that the backup linebackers are going to be entirely special teamers and whoever they trust. So if, if they're very happy with how Troy Dye or Troy Reader plays from a special teams perspective, and if they can trust them to hold down the Jordan Hicks role, then... There you go. That's what's going to happen. Uh, I don't think it will majorly affect how many linebackers they keep or who they keep, because once you get one layer down from the starters, it's probably going to be Pace Jr., Hicks, Asamoah, some combination of those three starting. And then the, the rest of the guys are just special teamers and break glass in case of emergency. I don't think that it will change much, but it is going to look a lot different than what we've seen in years past to see one linebacker out on the field, as opposed to, you know, the traditional two linebackers that they've always had, even through last year with Ed Donatel. So it is going to be a little bit different. I think a uh, question from Gabe, Brian Flores loves flexibility. Could you see a scenario where they keep six safeties? Well, uh, no, I don't, think they're going to keep six safeties. I, I think it will be Bynum, Lewisine, Josh Metellus, maybe one more, maybe like a Theo Jackson or something more likely than not though, past the third one, the, it's just um, on the practice squad. And if you have like a Theo Jackson, no one's picking him up off waivers. So you can cut him, put him on the practice squad and then, you know, bring him up if you need to. I, I do agree with you that he likes flexibility, but I also think you have to have guys who can play and impact the game. And that's where you need, you need a certain like talent level uh, as opposed to just being kind of a replacement guy to have one special skill. Like I think Metellus does have a special skill. And I think that Bynum does have a special skill of understanding the defense, knowing where to be having chemistry with uh, Harrison Smith. So, and then of course, Lewis seen physically gifted player, who is going to be depth and then also uh, impact the special teams right off the bat, I would guess, but you're also developing him 
to be a first round pick. And eventually they're hoping work out those guys. You'll keep anybody else is sort of like, all right, we'll bump you up if we need to. And you know, we'll see if that happens. Uh, Sarah sent me a note, longtime listener to the show. Uh, she works in a hospital in Texas, I believe, and said uh, she doesn't get the privilege of watching many ER, or, not ER, that's where she works, uh, many Vikings games unless they're in primetime or playing a Texas team. Will we get to see them on TV this year? The Vikings actually have a lot of primetime games. I did not realize this until Sarah asked this question. Uh, they play week two against the Eagles primetime. If you count 325, they also play week five. That's a 325 at the Chiefs, 715 on a Monday against San Francisco week seven, and then a couple of noon games, Sunday night football week 11 in Denver week 12 on Monday night football. So they have back to back and then uh, a 305 start in Vegas. Although is that because of the time change? That might be because of the time change and Sunday night football on New Year's Eve. So you will get a lot of those games this year. That is a fun schedule. I need to do more on that schedule. Uh, one other one from Hickory 71. Have you learned things from your reporting related to Vikings ownership, coaches, players, and you have decided you wouldn't report out to the public? Uh, yeah, in reporting, you're always having conversations with people off the record. And that's an important designation when you talk with people, whoever it might be, just might be in the sport, might be with the team, might be whoever, just... It's important to know when we're talking off the record, when we're talking on the record, because certain things that can be said to add context or that are just in conversation are kind of not fair game, if that makes sense. Like if you're just talking to someone, just for example, I'll go back to like my hockey past. So we're not talking about the Vikings. When I covered hockey in, in Buffalo, I had a conversation with a coach where he told me about a player who was a fourth liner who wasn't any good, who marched into his office and demanded to play first line center. And he told me this story and we were like, what? That's so weird. Uh, but I didn't run to the radio to report this because we were talking off the record, just having a conversation. So yes, more information comes your way by being around and having discussions with people about certain things. But it's just sort of like a code of ethics here that if you put out stuff that you're just having in the run of conversation out there and report everything like that, you're not going to get any trust from anybody to talk about stuff. And then what often happens and this happened in my hockey career. So I'm going to, again, focus on that uh, where this same coach, I had written something and he contacted me and basically said, well, here's kind of what's really going on with that player. And I was like, off the record, here's what's going on with that player. So then I knew that. So then the next time I wrote about it or talked about it, I could add more context without saying, oh, the coach told me, or here's his quote, because he wanted it out there, like the truth. He wanted me to get it right, but he didn't want to like say, here's what's going on with that guy. So does, does that make sense? Like you definitely can't say everything you hear, but I also don't want to think that like, I'm not like holding back on you guys. Like, I don't know all the, where the, the, all the bodies are buried. And I'm just like, not telling you that's not, that's not how it goes. So it comes out in the run of reporting. So sometimes just for example, I I'll have an opinion on something 
that's a little more informed than just the press conference. And I'll give it throughout the time that I'm on the show. And then it will come to fruition. And you'll be like, oh, he knew what he was talking about. And that's just not my guess. It's because, you know, I was around and knew what was going on. So anyway, it's, yeah, it's it's not like all that complicated. It's when you're having conversations with people off the record, yeah, it's not stuff that I can bring to the show or bring to my written side of my reporting, but I all it also ends up all being part of my understanding of the team and it ends up filtering through that way. So that's the best way I would put it. Uh let's see. See, uh, I don't know about this. Uh, Zeline says uh, it sucks that someone like Scene is going to make the team by default, while someone deserving who works their ass off like Tristan Jackson is probably going to get cut. Well, I don't know that Tristan Jackson's going to be cut. Um, that's an interesting one for sure. And here, I mean, this is the reality of sports, though, right? Isn't it? If you are the general manager who drafted Lewis Scene in the first round and you see his size, his speed and his potential. Are you going to give him every chance to become the best he can possibly be? Or are you going to say, well, you know, look, Tristan Jackson was better in camp. That would probably not be a good method. I think I get what you're saying. If you're one of those players, and this is where you see players on Twitter who, you know, don't have careers or whatever, will be like, I was better in camp than whatever Tommy first round pick. That's life. Uh, that is life in sports because we like we were talking about earlier, if it clicks, if you just cut Lewis scene and he didn't make the team and you had a sixth wide receiver, who's probably never going to impact anything. If that's the way you did business, if you just after the second year, just cut every pick uh, that's not the people are going to think you're insane. Like it's not a good look, but also other people are going to pick up your picks. And if it works out for them, I mean, that's the thing with Lewis scene. I don't know whether it'll ever work out for Lewis scene, but if you just cut him and they picked and someone else picked him up and he became a star, like you look horrendous and everyone's going to go, wait, you cut him because you like the way a sixth wide receiver played. And this is coming from me who comes here every night and says how good Tristan Jackson is. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's a really tough thing to do. Uh, and, you know, you got to give somebody like Lewis scene as much time as you can. And when it's over, it's over and we'll all know it's over, but I don't think it's time to say that it's over right now. Uh, Christian says the O-line is not good enough for a rookie QB right now, unless they expect him to throw number one or bust. Well, they don't have a rookie quarterback right now. That's kind of part of the point, isn't it? That what you've done is set up in the most difficult things to find for your next quarterback, Christian Derrissaw, Brian O'Neill, Justin Jefferson, possibly Jordan Addison and TJ Hawkinson. How many teams have a good tight end? Not many. How many teams have elite tackles? Not many. How many teams have Justin Jefferson? Nobody. So that's a really good setup. If you get a rookie quarterback and the guy is even okay, he's even can play. You can then sign some guards and spend the big money to get the Joe Tooney. You can do that because you're in a position to do that because you have not spent $40 million on the quarterback position. That's how that works. Like, yeah, I mean, this comes up all the time. We talk about drafting quarterbacks. Well, it's not going to matter if he can't throw the ball. Well, another part of it too is uh, if you're drafting a quarterback, let's get one who can scoot a little bit, right? Who can escape the pressure. I think that needs to be part of it if they're drafting the next quarterback. But 
It's also that you can spend the money. You can fix the line. You've already done the hard part by getting two elite tackles. I mean, you can't tell me that one of the reasons some of these guys don't bust is that from the very outset of their careers, they're playing under such horrible circumstances because their teams are atrocious, right? Because they don't have elite tackles. They don't have elite receivers. I mean, I I don't know if Justin Fields is going to be good. I tend to think uh, he's never going to be a great passer, but was that, that's a different universe from the Viking situation. If you draft Justin Fields and immediately give him elite wide receivers and great tackles, like I think we might have a different story. So, you know, it's a little bit chicken and egg, but I, that to me is never, never a reason not to draft quarterback because that quarterback by drafting him gives you a bunch of cap space to fix your problem. So that's the way I look at it. Anyway, uh, tomorrow, they are off. So here's the deal with the show. I am going to go to the twins game and I will be out a little bit later, but I will also be back. And then I will be on the air with Jonathan to do hot routes. We will preview Vikings, Titans, joint practices. This is a big call it moving week for a lot of players. If you've made an impression so far, this is your time to move up on that depth chart. And uh, so we'll be here tomorrow night. It'll just be a little later. It'll, we'll be starting kind of around this time around nine o'clock and uh, sorry to the people who go to bed a little bit earlier, but um, it's a day off for the team. So I'm going to take advantage of it, but you guys are the best. Thanks so much for everybody tuning in as always. And uh, keep giving me advice on the setup. I really like like where we're coming along with the studio here and it's uh, I think it's going well, but it'll keep improving and uh, it'll be fun to continue to put this thing together. So thanks everybody for uh, dropping by and we'll be back tomorrow. And then of course the rest of the week after joint practices, a lot to break down. It'll be a lot of fun. So we will see you then football.